All right, who are you rooting for? Chiefs. Niners. Chiefs. Niners. How many? Okay. Chiefs, raise your hand. All right. Niners, raise your hand. All right. How many don't care? They just want good food and maybe solid commercials. All right. That's all right. That is awesome. I don't give a rip. Just good food. Bring it to me. All right. If you do not have a place to watch the Super Bowl, uh, you're more than welcome to join us at our house. And uh, we'll have it on the wall projected. And then downstairs, it'll also be on the flat screen. But it's going to be a good day. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19. But uh, I'm glad that we're doing this message in the uh, Sermon on the Mount uh, because I think it's something that we've gotten away from in our culture and even in the Christian culture that we live in. And I believe that if Satan is going to attack, he's going to start with marriage and because uh, it trickles down from that. And I've seen it happen where the marriage... Uh, gets infiltrated, and then it kind of just, it kind of works its way out and spreads its way out. So we're going to tackle that a little bit today. Um, we've all had those moments in life where we've had that, that can't be so, like that, that couldn't have happened. Uh, maybe last Sunday, uh, that's something you thought about when you heard about Kobe Bryant. It's like, well, that, that can't be. Um, so you start looking on different sites, trying to figure out, is this really legit, uh, when you walk past the National Enquirer and the, and the grocery store, you're like, well, that can't be so. Most likely it's not so if it's the National Enquirer. Uh, but Facebook posts, you'll read them and you're like, oh, that, that can't be so. And so you start to figure it out, is that fake news or is that something legit? And it's hard. Um, if you know the website Babylon Bee, they are all satire. They are all making fun of certain things. And what is really funny about this is I have an aunt or a cousin uh, who's my mom's age who is not real happy with the political situation that we have going on. And I'm not going to tell you what side it's on, but she quoted Babylon B <laughs> and thought it was legit. And I had to tell her, I said, you, you know that's satire, right? That's not true. In fact, it's just totally made fun of. But anyway, you start to think, man, that can't be so. Surely that isn't true. Uh, it didn't really happen that way. There's a mistake. And so we, we do that sometimes. And when we read through the Sermon on the Mount, we probably would get to certain places and be like, oh, really? Like, really? That, is, that, I don't know if that, would that really be so? Surely that can't be so. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says some of the craziest things, and he says stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense, especially for us, um, but it would be followed with the response of, really? R really, Jesus? And I'm just going to throw this out there, but I believe that there's a lot of churches that you can go to and you're not going to hear a lot of what Jesus preached because it's not going to line up. Uh, it's not a lot of that, yeah, give that to me more, Jesus. You know, I want to hear more of that. Jesus, Jesus had some stuff that you probably are not going to, like there wouldn't be the guy on the front row going, amen, preach it, 
you know? Um, and I think we've just gotten to accustomed to sometimes the sermons that make us feel better about ourselves, make us feel better about our situations, and uh, that tickle our ears a little bit. Um, and don't make us... They, those are the things that like to make us comfortable, but a lot of the things that Jesus said wouldn't make you very comfortable. In fact, it'll make you kind of cringe a little bit. I mean, when Jesus says things like, hey, when they ask for one, give them two. You know, if they ask for your shirt, give them your coat. If they, you carry it one mile, maybe you should carry it two miles. Better to gouge out your, what, what? <laughs> Cut off, what, what? Really? And the Sermon on the Mount, is filled with those really moments because it is so extreme. And the reason why is because we've gotten to a place where we do not live our lives out the way that God intended. And what I'm saying is the Sermon on the Mount is what life would look like if you had perfect faith in God. Okay, so if you were living your life exactly the way that God originally intended, you'd be living out the Sermon on the Mount. And if you don't realize how far off we are, read the Sermon on the Mount. You'd be like, oh man, we're, we've kind of gotten away. And especially in the area of marriage, his desire for marriage, and what his idea of marriage would look like. And so I think a lot of times we like to put the stipulations in on marriage. And most all of us who have been married or have been to a wedding ceremony uh, or even thought about it, you heard this said in the wedding ceremony, you heard this, till death do you part, or for as long as you both shall live. Wow. That's, that's crazy, you know, to love and to cherish. Richer for poorer, sickness, health, good times, bad, for as long as you both shall... Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> What? Really? Until you are separated by death, you are to be joined together in what we consider this holy union. Now, hang with me, because if you've been divorced once, twice, three, however many times, if you've had affairs or not, or whatever it looks like, hang with me. There's going to be some beauty through this. Um, but when this hat was said by Jesus, and we're going to get to it here eventually, uh, the first several hundred years of Christianity, they didn't really struggle too much with this idea. In fact, the early Christians saw marriage kind of like what they saw salvation. It's that when we make this commitment, it's a commitment for life. When you give your life to Christ and you say, I do to Him, it is a full-blown eternal commitment. And so when they would look at it, they would say, okay, that's what happens. In fact, there's so many similarities to giving your life to Christ and getting married. Think about it. When you get married, what happens? Usually you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody. And then you ask them, hey, will you? And they're like, yes or no. And if they say yes, then at some point in time, usually it's a church, sometimes it's not. But you walk down the aisle of the church, you come up front, the pastor will say some things. You'll make some promises and some vows and then you'll basically say, I'm going to publicly show everybody that I am in love with this person. So you make that known and you put rings on your fingers and then we all celebrate that, correct? And then when you give your life to Jesus, 
doesn't have to be a church, but a lot of times people will walk down the church aisle and they'll come up forward and the pastor will say some things and we'll exchange some promises and some vows and we'll talk about how much we love him and we want to spend the rest of our lives with him and we show that publicly by getting baptized and then we celebrate that decision. And so this overlap or understanding of it looking like when you're giving your life to Christ, that is a beautiful uh, example, and they looked at it that way. And so they viewed marriage a lot like salvation, as something that was faithful, and it was committed for the long haul. And so for as long as you both shall live was good. But I believe somewhere in time, we started to take for as long as you both shall live, and we started to put in our own little stipulation, our own loopholes, Okay? And maybe you've done this. And so maybe you've said, you know what? Till death do us part, unless I'm miserable in my marriage. And if that's the case, God would not want me to be unhappy. And so he would definitely want me to be happy. Then surely God is okay with us separating. Now, understand, I didn't say abusive if there is physical, sexual, emotional abuse, then I would say get out and get safe. But a lot of times we'll say, you know what? I didn't know I was going to have to live here if I got married. Um, I didn't know that they would never fall in love with hockey. And I don't know if I can stay with somebody that's not in love. That's legit, okay? <laughs> Till death do us part. Or until I find somebody that maybe is... Something better, someone better. Till death do us part, as long as I'm having my needs met. Till death do us part, unless my spouse gets a disease and is not able to function like I thought they were going to be their entire lives. Or my spouse was in an accident and has left them in a terrible state, maybe a vegetable state, and we throw in loopholes. Well, Certainly that would be a legitimate loophole, right? Till death do us part. Unless he or she is unfaithful. Till death do us part. Unless... What is that? And so we define it one way, but I think what we're going to discover this morning is that God would define it a little bit differently than we would. If it's God's way, I think we need to come to the grips and understanding that it is probably the best way. And so that's what we're going to do. And before we dig into this, um, there's a couple things I'm going to ask, or a few things I'm going to ask. One is hang with me to the end. There's going to be beauty in the end of this, but it's going to be some, there's going to be some difficult things that we're going to have to hear. And so don't tune out out of frustration. Um, the other thing is, this is not just a sermon for married people. It is for anybody who wants to be married, is thinking about marriage. In fact, for some of our younger people, this is incredible stuff that I want you to hear about uh, today. And I think it's even almost more important for you um, to, to hone into and listen to. The other thing is this. If something is said that sounds like it is your story and you feel like you're being picked on, Trust me, I didn't think of anybody this week and said, <laughs> okay, 
probably, most likely, there's a lot more people in the room that have a similar story that God is going to speak to. All right, so you are not specifically getting picked on uh, this morning. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to uh, kind of look at the tail end of our passages. There's kind of three different sections. We're going to look at the tail end, and then we're going to go to the first two, and there's a reason I want to do that. Um, but the last third, it's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, and here's what it says. It says, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, For you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Wow. (laughs) Let's talk about vows a little bit, because I think when we first read this, we'll be like, man, it seems like God doesn't want us to make any promises. And that's not the case. What he is addressing is something that was very common in that day, which was people making promises or vows on things that were not necessarily God himself, but something just to step down one, two, three ranks. And the reason that they do that is because we want to stay in good standing with God. I don't want to tick him off. So I'll weasel and I'll be deceptive and I'll make a promise here instead. All right? So, you know, you ever hear anybody, you know, I promise on my mother's grave. They didn't swear to God, but they sweared on something that your mom's probably not happy with, you swearing on her grave. Or, maybe, let's just go to this one. You ever, you ever seen that? Was that just a 70s and 80s thing? I don't know, where you cross your fingers and you think, well, whatever I say, Now is okay because I cross my fingers. Like Jesus is like, hey, as long as you cross your fingers, you're good. No. He's saying, mean what you say and say what you mean. Let your word be something that is like an oak. I mean, it is going to be trustworthy that when you say the things you say, people can believe it. Because it's your word. And it's so valuable for Christians Because as Christians, our job is to go and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to love people and to tell them good news. And if they hear you in one side of the street tell lies and deception and give false, you know, deceiving, and then they come over here and try to tell you about Jesus, good luck. So Jesus is saying, man, your vows are important. Don't make it on here. Just let your word be solid and let it be good. And so I even think when it comes to this idea of marriage, it is so valuable and so important because you're going to make some vows. You're going to say things that need to be promises, not only to your spouse, but you're making them to God. And so it's very important. And this morning, I kind of feel like a doctor, (laughs) where the doctor's like, hey, this is going to hurt a little bit. 
And when he says it's going to hurt a little bit, it's going to hurt a lot. And I just feel like that. This, you know, for some of us in here, this is going to be a little painful. In fact, I thought it was rather interesting that when Jesus is pretty much done talking about marriage, because he does it in this section, Matthew 5, and he does it again in Matthew 19, when he gets done, the disciples, those closest to Jesus, say this in verse 10 of 19, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is just better not to marry. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh-uh. They're like, gosh, this looks kind of difficult. Looks as, you know, this might be better if we just didn't get married. And that's what they're saying to Jesus. Maybe it's better if we didn't get married. And notice what Jesus does not do. He does not say, no, 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 you misunderstood me. You want to know what Jesus' response was? It was, it was kind of, you know, guess what? Sometimes people can't handle it. And then he has this like mic drop moment. That's it. Yeah, some people can't handle the truth. And so if you get to a place during our time this morning where you're like, well, gosh, it seems maybe better if we just didn't get married. Guess what? You're in good company because the disciples were kind of right there. That's kind of what they thought. And so... My prayer is that through this, some of the painful stuff, you're going to find some hope and blessings that God so badly wants you to have. And I think it's very helpful. And we're going to end up learning that we're all kind of in the same boat. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Here's what Jesus says. And he's continuing in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, You have heard the commandment that says, You must not commit adultery. But I say, and anytime he says, but I say, he's going to raise it up a level, all right? <clears throat> he says, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Don't you think that the guys sitting around Jesus were like, well, hold on a second, well, what? What did you just say? And I think it's probably something that we would be wanting. We want to time out a little bit too, right? Because, hey, Jesus, we live in a very sexually charged world. TV, the internet, looks like every billboard that we look at. We can't turn on this. We can't, you know, we go to the beach. It is just, we are saturated by this. And we are exposed to something that makes us want to see more. But Jesus doesn't honor their time out. In fact, he just keeps going. He says... Hey, so if your eye, even your good eye, and when he says this, he, they would, in their culture, it would be your right eye, the dominant eye, causes you to lust. Hey, you should gouge that thing out and throw it away. Wait, what? <laughs> if I look at someone lustfully, I should what? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. <clears throat> so... We're all kind of considered adulterers here, even if we haven't done the act. And now I lost my eye, and now Jesus is telling me that I should lose some other part of my body, and now I'm really getting nervous. You're curious. You're like, where is he going to go with this? Verse 30 says, And if your hand 
Even your stronger hand, this would be your right hand, causes you to sin. Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow. Jesus is not backing down at all. Where's all that warm and fuzzy, you know, lovely Jesus? You know, the kid's on the knee and smile on his face. Where's that guy? I bet it's next. You have heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say, oh, here we go. I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful. Now here, understand. Jesus doesn't say adultery. He says unfaithfulness or sexually immorality. It comes from a Greek word called porneia, which we get certain words from, uh, which basically is not just a physical act, but it's anything immoral that would in be included in this description. If that, happens, if that causes her to commit what you've done, it causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Aren't you glad you came to church today? And if you're in your seat going, man, I know I've done this, well, welcome to the club. Because when it's a part of your heart, we all have. There's a lot of adultery going on. There's a lot of marriages going on. And I think we can just understand that we're all kind of guilty. I mean, I have looked at women other than my wife in lustful ways and did a lot of things before marriage that I shouldn't have done. And I don't know what your story looks like, but I think most all of us can say, yeah, I probably did some things. I thought some things that I shouldn't have. And I think today, in today's day and age, especially for the over 40 crowd, there's way more people over 40 that have been married multiple times than only once. <clears throat> some people are on marriage number two, number three, number four, however many times. In fact, as interesting just a few years ago, my grandfather on my mom's side, he passed away many, many, many years ago. Um, but I love my grandfather. He always took me fishing and things like that. But I found out just a few years ago, which blew my mind, that he had been married before my grandma and kept, the, every, it was a family secret. Like two people knew it. And my grandma, before she passed away, told my mom, and my mom was like, what? <laughs> what? You've got to be kidding. Really? And that's kind of the way I had it. I was like, oh, man, I didn't know that. But we live in a world where getting divorced, getting married uh, more than once is extremely common. In fact, Sarah and I had a friend in California, and her parents got married and divorced three different times to each other. They just kept like, I marry you, I like you, and I don't like you, let's get divorced. And they're like, I kind of like you again. And they just did this. And then after the third time, they, uh, they've not gotten remarried. But I just think it's, that was kind of crazy. So Jesus is sharing, understand this, what God the Father's idea of marriage looks like. 
And so there's these guys, and we've talked about this, but as this is going on and throughout his ministry, there's these guys called Pharisees that are religious leaders, and they're trying to trap Jesus, get rid of Jesus. And so they're always trying to figure out ways to get Jesus to stumble. And so in Matthew chapter 19 is one of those situations where they're going to try to get Jesus to say something that does not line up with the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And so if we can just get him to do that, we can accuse him of blasphemy and then we can get rid of him. And so they threw out these questions to him, waiting for him to slip up. That's where we're going to pick it up in 19.3. This is what he says. Some of the Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Here's the question that they came up with. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, back then in Jesus' culture, a man could divorce his wife, culturally speaking, by just saying, I divorce you three times. Okay? I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Done. Biblically speaking... she would have had to been unfaithful and immoral conduct. And if you know the Christmas story, this surfaces a little bit when Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant and they are in a betrothal period. And that period was kind of like marriage. It was committed, even though they hadn't consummated the marriage. And he says, before he understands the power of the Holy Spirit and it being a divine thing, that he would divorce her quietly because of infidelity. Here's Jesus' response. He says, haven't you heard or haven't you read the scriptures? Which is interesting that he's talking to religious leaders saying, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And this is key right here. And the two are united into one. In some of your Bibles, it may say one flesh. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split them apart. Jesus says, let no one, not the wife, not the husband, not the neighbor, no one, let no one split what God has joined together. And they would think, man, it sounds so permanent. Sounds so final, right? Verse 7 continues. They're like, man, the first question that we asked him didn't go over very well. Tom, you got something? (laughs) We need to ask him a different question. So this is what they asked. Well, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. That's what they asked. And Jesus replied, Moses permitted, it wasn't commanded, it was permitted, divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now what I want to do is I want to put the spotlight on verse 8 a little bit because this is so crucial for us. First, God permits divorce only in the concessions of their hard heart. 
And for a lady, this was pretty significant. Because back then, the ladies did not have a lot of rights. And so if he, he leaves her, she's kind of left in abandonment. And so if she can get this permit, this written permit, then she can go back home. She can go back to an employer. She can go somewhere and say, hey, look, here it is. And she can be accepted again. So Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to their hard hearts. And here's what should absolutely break our hearts. And my wife and I were talking about this the other day, and she goes, I think this is one of the saddest scriptures to read knowing where we're at. It should break our hearts because it breaks God's heart. Because it was not what God had originally intended. There it is. And that's the question we should ask. What is God's original intentions? Should you have sex with somebody that is not your spouse? What was God's intentions for your life? What about same-sex attractions? Is that something that we should embrace? And we would say, what was God's original intentions? Is divorce okay? Because, you know, we find these loopholes. What was God's original intentions? Not where we are culturally. Not where we're at, well, this would be easier if we did this. What was God's original design? What was his intentions? And it was at this point in time where the disciples say, maybe in this case it's better not to marry. But God is very clear that the intentions with marriage is that the two, understand this, that two would become one. That two would become one. And I think Andy Stanley says it really well when he says this. In other words, don't attempt to un-one what God has made one. And this is what we're really good at trying to do. We try to make the allowances and the stipulations. We're like, you know what? We can undo this. We can undo this. And I wanted to just kind of show you kind of what this looks like. So hang with me. All right. Two. There's a lot of choices in here. I chose these two. So... So these two, they kind of like each other. And so they start to court and they start to look and they're like, oh man, good looking egg. All right. So then they finally make the decision, hey, let this, let's get together. Let's make this a union. And so they go before people and they go through the marriage counseling. And then they say their I do's till death do us part. And then emotionally and uh, physically and spiritually, they become one right? And that's through a lifetime of becoming one. If you don't like eggs, too bad. I just thought, that's really cool. That's what it looks like right there. The two become one. That was God's original design. And they're enjoying life. Life is good. She smells good, right? We like this. We're going hiking together and other stuff. And then, you know, time goes on. 
And this one over here, they've, you know, maybe had their one. And we need to distinguish this one here. And so I'm going to add a little food coloring. This is the Dr. Seuss. Whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> it's going to make for a better example. This has become one. But now we start to maybe life has gone on and we start looking around and we start getting the conversations and this person likes Dr. Seuss and I like Dr. Seuss and so I know I shouldn't do this but I'm going to do a little bit of that. And then they kind of stir that up a little bit. And even if they get back and they're like, you know what, I'm going to repent, I'm going to get back, I'm going to make this right, and they try, and we really try. You can't unscramble the eggs completely. Now, what was God's original intention? what we first had. And even though we will try to make right and we'll do the very best we can, we'll bathe it in prayer, we'll go to church, we'll grow towards Him, you can't completely undo it. All right? Maybe there's kids involved, maybe there's just the mental stuff, maybe the whatever. You can't completely undo it. And so we can't undo what God has put together. And so, I think the tragedy of this is that no matter what part, whether you are the guilty one or you are the innocent one, there's pain involved for everyone. And if you are the one um, devastating adultery is devastating God says you're an adulterer and it breaks God's heart when he sees any marriage which is for oneness be torn apart and divided you can't completely unscramble the eggs this is why I like the sand ceremony in weddings because they pour the sands in and it's like man try separating that again and that was never the intentions now if you're sitting here like I am, and I'm like, man, this may not look just like mine, but because of my thoughts and because of my heart, I feel like a big fat failure when I read through this in Sermon on the Mount. I want you to remember what Jesus is doing. Jesus is showing us what it would look like if we lived our lives as though we had perfect faith and lived our lives completely dedicated to the original design. One man, one woman, for as long as you both shall live. And so, this is what Jesus preaches. And he preaches this, which is tough. But here's the beauty of it. 
the same Jesus who preaches this is also the same Jesus who in John chapter 4 asks a woman at the well, hey, where's your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right, you've had five husbands and the man you're with right now is not even your husband. And he offers her eternal life. It's the same Jesus in John chapter 8 where a lady who is caught in the act of adultery and brought out to be stoned. And Jesus basically gets rid of all the accusers, all the people condemning her, and gets down and looks at her in the eyes and says, where are your condemners? They're not here. And I don't condemn you either. And he loves her. I thought, man, that's the beauty of Jesus. So no matter what your situation is, he wants to love you through it. And if Jesus doesn't condemn you, then guess what? The church should not condemn you. When people come to church, and they enter into this place, they should not feel judged. They should not feel condemned. They should feel loved. And it doesn't mean that if you have... Let me make sure I say this correctly. What it does not mean is this. If you are part of this church body and this church family, and we see you going down a path that could be destructive and not healthy... It does not mean that we're going to try, not going to try to talk you out of it and try to hold you accountable. That's what we do. I don't want to see any of you guys get hurt. And so if I see you going down a path that I think could be dangerous and bad, I'm going to do everything I can to prevent it. And so... Here's the last thing I want to mention, and we'll wrap it up. Embrace what God says about marriage starting right now. We can't undo the past. Don't try. In fact, if you're like, I'm on marriage number three, maybe this is a perfect opportunity for me to get out and go back to marriage number one. No, 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 no. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul addresses, he's like, yep. Each of you should remain where you are. Don't change that. Starting right now, where God has found you, let's make the best of this moving forward. Can't undo, we can't unscramble the eggs. But we can do, starting right now, we can embrace what God says about marriage. And so, starts today. And I would say this, teach your children what Jesus says about marriage not the culture that we live in. So teach what he says about purity. Teach what he says about marriage. And that has been really hard for me because I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, Jeff, and this is when I was a youth pastor for so many years, we can't teach purity to these kids. Not in today's day and age. Telling them not to have sex is, you know, it's just... That, that wouldn't work. I'm like, you know what? 
you do it your way, I'm going to do it my way, and I'm just going to preach what Jesus says. And one of the reasons that a lot of those parents had a hard time is because they didn't do it from day one. It's a lot easier to do this if you teach your children from the very beginning, when they start to understand sexuality, at the very beginning, you teach what God taught. So when they turn 17, you're not trying to make up ground and say, hey, wait a minute. From the very beginning, let them understand that there is beauty in their purity that is priceless and that God wants the very best for them and their future spouse wants it too. This doesn't happen after marriage. Most of this happens way before marriage by the things that we subject ourselves to and the things that we do. We should protect our marriage starting right now. I had a friend, Jackie, and this is what I'm going to close with. I have a friend, Jackie. She lives down in Colorado Springs. And I met Jackie, and Jackie was a counselor, a marriage counselor. And I saw a picture of her with her son and her husband. I said, oh, that's a beautiful family. And she says, let me tell you a beautiful story. Her husband... came to her one day and said, I've been having an affair and she's pregnant. And he broke down and they had their initial shock and awe and they went ahead and he, you know, they had the baby, the woman that he had the affair with and Jackie and is over on the side watching all this go down and she'd been praying and saying, okay God, tell me what to do. And it's amazing because Jackie decided that she was going to fight for her marriage. And she watches this young boy grow up. And I said, is that your son? And she goes, yes, that is my son. I said, doesn't that remind you of infidelity? And she said this. She said, that reminds me of how amazing Jesus is that he can heal that kind of stuff. And guys, that is how amazing Jesus is. That through him, healing can happen. And he wants the original intention. And that's what he wants lived out, but he can make it beautiful. That's what he wants from us. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for people like Jackie who kept her eyes on you and has a son and it just didn't happen what your original intentions were but she kept her focus and her eyes on you and instead of being a, a picture that reminds her of infidelity, it just reminds her of how amazing you are and I know that we have, we just live in a culture and a world where man, there's so much brokenness but I pray that we'll just concentrate on what your intentions are for our life starting right now, no matter what's happened in the past. Those things will not dictate what our future is going to look like. So starting right now, 
we're going to make that decision. And this we ask in your name. Amen.